Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. Today, we have the Bob Garver Show. Bob, how are you doing? Our New York City film critic is joining us for another round of reviews. How are you doing, Bob? Uh, I'm doing great, although I I can't say I'm uh, crazy about that name. Uh, You do (laughs) way more than I do to contribute to this show, so I think the name should be (laughs) <laughs> no, at, no, no, no. At, at the very least, a shared bill. <laughs> well, maybe we can work on that. We were just thinking of things, but uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on every week with us and sharing your uh, your experience at the movies. Uh, obviously, you love the movies. I do, too. Uh, and we love having you on here talking about movies. But today we're talking about maybe one of the biggest movies of the year uh, after it seems like forever uh, because of the pandemic delaying Black Widow. We finally get the standalone Scarlett Johansson Marvel Cinematic Universe action adventure. Bob, was it worth the wait for you? It was not. Okay. Now, having said that, yes, the MCU is back. Um, the estimated uh, box office this weekend was $87 million, which trumps even uh, F9. Right. Uh, this will probably... Uh, wind up being the biggest movie, uh, at least since the pandemic, maybe maybe uh, going back to before the pandemic. Sure. So, so I'm glad to see that this movie is doing great commercially. Uh, creatively, I can't say that I love it that much. Now, are you um, a Marvel fan? Are you a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan? I think we've had, what, over 20 movies in this universe. Are you overall? I, I am. I am. And they usually, uh, they usually score somewhere in the, the B to B. Minus range. Uh, this one gets a C from me. Okay. What uh, what maybe about Black Widow did not work as its own standalone feature? The MCU has always had this insecurity when it comes to female-led movies mm-hmm. uh, because their rival franchise, the DCEU, the DC Extended Universe, um, they had Wonder Woman before they did. Sure. And it seems like they've always been... Uh, trying to play catch up to that. First, they were overhyping that uh, that the Wasp was top billed with Ant Man in the one movie. Uh, then they tried to get that uh, standalone Captain Marvel movie um, to have kind of a similar following to Wonder Woman. It was it was a good movie. I liked it, but I um, I didn't love it on the level of a of a Wonder Woman. They still had a long way to go. Sure. And then. Um, it seems like they're making this Black Widow movie just for the sake of, of making a Black Widow movie. It doesn't really need to be in the MCU. And it, um, yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like a story that needs to be told. It just seems like they they want to have a Black Widow movie for the sake of having a Black Widow movie when, when creatively there's no need to have one. 
Now this, if I'm not mistaken, this happens somewhere between like Infinity War and Endgame. Is that correct? With this uh, sort of not origin story, but kind of taking you back to meet Black Widow and where she comes from. No, this is between uh, Captain America: Civil War okay. and uh, and the Infinity War. Uh, okay, because there there are references to. Uh, the falling out that the Avengers had in uh, in Captain America: Civil War. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously a great cast. I mean, not just uh, you know Scarlett Johansson, who's you know recently had the two the double nomination, but Florence Pugh, another Oscar uh, nominated actress. David Harbour, people love him in Stranger Things. Rachel Weisz is a terrific actress. Ray Winstone. I mean, it, you know, they were able to at least you know, fell out a nice cast here, but uh, what maybe fell short with this movie? Was it just that story maybe sort of being on one leg and not really having enough to tell a full story or was it anything else or? There was, there was that. There's also the fact that um, Black Widow doesn't really have uh, a whole lot in the way of uh, powers. Um, you know, somebody, somebody brings up that uh, she's not a main Avenger that, um, that if something really goes wrong, they have to call in Thor or somebody who uh, whose powers are a lot more, well, I guess, powerful. I kind of fell into a trap there. Uh, more powerful than her. Um, the good news is I, I like the uh, the new cast members: the uh, Florence Pugh, the David Harbor, the uh, Rachel Vice, uh, an Academy Award winner. Sure. She um, those those three are really good. They make up her. Uh, so-called family. Um, they were a uh, group of Russian sleeper agents that loved, that lived together uh, for three years in, I guess, the 90s or sometime. Uh, and um, once they were, once they were called in debt, once their assignment was over, they were all split up and uh, 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 the Florence Pugh character and, and Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, they were, uh, they were, they went into intensive assassin training. Okay. Um, you know, this is not necessarily a first-time director, but Kate Shortland was uh, tabbed to direct this film. She's done a lot of TV, a lot of minor films. Uh, what did you think about her direction here in this uh, with this big action explosion blockbuster? Um, I mean, I couldn't tell that it was a first-time director. If that's if that's your question, I don't. Uh, do you think she handled the the bigger the bigger budget the bigger action sequences? Do you think she handled that okay? Um, I guess maybe maybe not great, um, but uh, it didn't it didn't seem like it was coming from a from a first time director who was in over their head. Sure. Well, you I know, you talked about it. I, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. That's I can't I can't say I picked up on a on a whole lot from her uh, stylistically that that stood out. I. Um, you know, I can't say I'm going to go see another movie of hers and say this is a this is definitely a Kate Shortland movie. Or right. is that is that her name? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, you talked about it at the at the very top of your review. Uh, you know, obviously a huge movie, a lot of expectations, and actually may have actually surpassed some of those box office expectations, taking in eighty million at the box office theatrically. But then Disney whether it's true or not, has already reported that it took in another 60 million or so from its premiere access release. You can watch it either in theaters or you can pay $30 on Disney Plus with premiere access. 
that's got to be an encouraging sign that the box office is uh, is maybe starting to return even more so now with maybe a movie that wasn't expected to be in that 80 million range, but maybe 60, 70, and then all of a sudden um, it really really has a nice opening weekend here. Do you think that this has some staying power, or do you think this is sort of a, a one-off kind of movie where it has a great opening weekend and then maybe like some of the other movies has a, a really precipitous drop? Um, I think it'll fall off faster than uh, maybe F9 did. Okay. But uh, it's still it's still going to rake in a, a ton of money, and uh, maybe it'll finally be the first movie to surpass Bad Boys for Life from last year, right. which, was the, which was the big movie in 2020. Well, definitely encouraging signs. So overall, a C from Bob. Is that right from, from you, yeah. Bob? C? Okay. Uh, so obviously, it's it, I mean, it's a continuation here. Uh, we have more Marvel Cinematic Universe movies coming out here in the uh, the very near future, especially this year and into next year and into beyond. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, if you're a Marvel fan, probably check it out because you've got to see all the, the movies anyway. But uh, Bob, eh, you know, unfortunately not one of your favorites there in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maybe one of these days we can rank some of our favorite uh, MCU uh, movies possibly. Who knows? Yeah, that might be the, the subject for a good upcoming list. Absolutely. Well, speaking of list, Bob, uh, this week uh, a little short on movie releases, so we're going to do another list. Uh, this time we're talking a little bit more about some of our favorite theatrical experiences, uh, which maybe goes hand in hand, I think, with uh, you loving the, the, the theater experience, myself loving the theater experience. Obviously, um, it's, it's really not a – there's no trade-off in our opinions there from streaming at home versus – watching in the theater. So we're going to take a look at some of our favorite thea thea theatrical experiences uh, in our lives. And I'll, I'll go first with my uh, my top five list here. Uh, let me pull up my list really quickly. All right. So I'm going to go five to one. My number five is Pan's Labyrinth. This is you know, a movie I've talked about as being one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's also one of those movies that when I was in college, I had a chance to see it. I never really thought this was a movie that I would have ever been able to see in theaters because even in that early to mid-2000s, it was really kind of a struggle to see independent cinema unless you went to a larger city. Uh, thankfully, being at Bowling Green State University, I was able to go to Toledo and, and watch this film on the big screen, and it was a, a real treat for me. Uh, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, fantasy movie ever made. And uh, it just engrossed me in the big screen experience with the sound and the humongous screen just just drenching me in this fantasy world along with the reality. I love this movie, and I really was so happy that I had a chance to see it on the big screen and, and be able to experience all the beautiful visuals on the biggest screen that I could find at the time. So number five for me, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, one of my favorite uh, movies of all time, and certainly... The uh, 2006 movie was one of my favorite theatrical experiences as well. Uh, number four for me is Into the Wild. This is uh, probably one of the surprise films that I saw. Sean Penn uh, directs Emil Hirsch here as he's playing a real-life person, Christopher McCandless, who takes out, gets rid of all of his possessions and goes on sort of a cross-country hike uh, to live in the Alaskan wilderness. Um, it does end in, in tragedy in some ways, but uh, and also sometimes it's uplifting, but it's always a beautiful film. Landscapes are beautiful. The photography of this film is gorgeous. Uh, and the, the 2007 film was, was really one of my favorite experiences in the theater. 
uh, being able to see all the, the beautiful photography on the big screen, uh, as, as well as a fun story and an interesting story that I had not been aware of going into it. So um, <clears throat> those for me were kind of the two movies that were the non blow you away theater experiences, meaning action movies, things like that. These next three are going to be probably all connected in a way where um, they're all something that I saw on IMAX screens. So I think IMAX tends to give me a little bit bigger experience. I think that's probably something we can both agree on. But for me, number three is Interstellar. I know we've talked about this movie a couple of times, uh, but I did get a chance to see this uh, Christopher Nolan masterwork in a uh, you know IMAX theater. It was a great experience to to see the visuals from space and all the the meticulous detail that uh, you know Nolan took to make a film like this. Um, I also a few you know obviously years later I saw Nolan's Dunkirk on seventy millimeter print, which was very fun. Uh, but I decided to go with Interstellar here on this list because it was the better movie and for me a better experience overall seeing it in the IMAX format. Uh, so that was number three. Number two on my list sort of an interesting pick for me. Uh, I didn't have a, a lot of huge expectations going into it because I had seen the first three movies in the franchise and thought they were okay. But for me, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol was an IMAX feature that I saw. And I was uh, kind of blown away by the visuals of this film. It, it really, if I had not seen this movie in IMAX, I would not have liked it as much as I did seeing it in IMAX because the theatrical experience was so just enveloping with that, you know, with Tom Cruise being on the Burj Khalifa, scaling the building and trying to get to the uh, upper level there to, to, to change the servers out in that one sequence. Really beautiful photography in this film. And uh, like I said before, the the idea of seeing it in IMAX, I mean, I like the first three movies to some degree. The second one, probably not as much, but the first and third were pretty solid. But this is where I think the series kind of took off. And then now all the movies are seemingly better than the last one. Uh, Ghost Protocol, though, for me, was a terrific IMAX experience, uh, one that I love. And like I said, it's one that had I seen it in a normal theater or at home, I would not have maybe given it as good of a rating as I did when I had first seen it in IMAX. So that's number two on my list. Number one probably kind of goes without saying it's something that we've talked about quite often on this show, but The Dark Knight another Christopher Nolan film. I saw this. This was the first theatrical movie that I had ever seen in uh, IMAX uh, at the time in 2008. Just a gorgeous film, beautiful cinematography, great story, terrific action, well-paced. This is probably like the ultimate theater experience for someone like me where you know, you like some action, but you also like to have a good story that goes along with it and beautiful images. And I think Christopher Nolan... As I mentioned earlier there with Interstellar, he hits this one out of the park, too. And it was my first experience in IMAX. I actually drove to Michigan, uh, so about two hours or so to drive uh, to watch this in IMAX. It was my first ever IMAX theatrical movie, um, and it was well worth the drive and well worth the, uh, the time taken to go see this film in Michigan. So that is my list. Bob, what do you think about my list? I'm... Uh... I'm. Uh, I find one of your um, entries very uh, well. Let's just say I agree wholeheartedly with one of your entries. All right. Um, for my list, um, I have to start off by saying I had a bunch of rules for my list. Okay. Um, for example, um, no revivals or marathons. Okay. Uh, were on my list. Um, 
when the Avengers came out, I saw uh, five other um, MCU movies that day that really enhanced the experience. Last year, I saw um, a bunch of Pixar movies before the premiere of Onward, and that was a great experience. Um, but nothing like that can qualify for the list. Uh, also, nothing where I saw the movie by myself. Uh, one of the Ice Age movies, 21 Grams, and Paddington 2, I saw in theaters all by myself, and I loved it. But uh, because there was no audience around, I felt like it wouldn't be fair to put those on the list. Sure. Uh, the other one was uh, Nothing Where I Met a Celebrity. Okay. So uh, the... Um, uh, going to the Tribeca Film Festival and uh, meeting Maggie Gyllenhaal at the premiere of her movie, The Great New Wonderful, uh, that uh, that couldn't count. Sure. Uh, the same with experiences uh, where I met uh, Melissa Villasenor, uh, where Sir Ben Kingsley was in attendance, even one with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Okay. Uh, I felt like I couldn't. I felt like I couldn't, in good conscience, put on the list. All right. Um, having said that. Um, when I saw Black Widow, it was on the balcony of the Lincoln Square Theater. Uh, so I figured I'd start off my list at number five with a, another movie that I saw on a balcony. Uh, this was at the Union Square Theater. And that is Casino Royale, the 2005 James Bond movie. Uh, tremendous experience. And the, the audience was really into it. Uh, wild applause every time uh, some sort of classic James Bond trope broke out yeah. and uh, just some great sequences in that movie and uh, very, uh, very exciting movie overall, uh, except for maybe the ending where they did a little too much to tease uh, what was coming up in the next movie instead of giving the movie a satisfactory conclusion sure. in and of itself. Uh, for number four, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I got to see an advanced screening of this uh, in college and uh, theater was just cracking up at every Mm -hmm. Every moment. Uh, Russell Brand, uh, I felt, was going to be the next uh, really big thing in comedy. And in a way, he was. Um, he didn't really have a lot of staying power. Right. But everybody in that theater was hooked on on everything he said. Um, number three, Sausage Party, <laughs> uh, the animated comedy. Uh, this gave me the opportunity to cross an item off my bucket list uh, in that uh, after work, uh, everybody was getting uh, getting ready to leave in our in our store's break room, and uh, you know I, I was doing well financially at the time, and uh, everybody seemed to have some extra time on their hands. So I said to everybody, if anybody wants to come see Sausage Party with me, I will pay for your ticket. And four coworkers uh, took me up on the offer, um, so I was able to just. Um, <laughs> Just pay for, for, I mean, not, it wasn't the whole room, but I was just able to pay for a group of random friends to, to come along and see a movie with me. Um, number two is a movie that, uh, where the decision was made at the last minute to trim it from many, many theaters in New York City to four theaters in New York City and uh, several thousand theaters in the country to only, I believe, 300 theaters in the country. Uh, and that's Borat, Borat yeah. back in 2006. Uh, last minute decision to, to really compact its release and that made getting tickets uh, really competitive, but it also made for packed houses. Right. And, uh, and, and again, everybody was hooked on everything funny in that movie and it was just mind blowing how, 
how, I mean, I was sick to my stomach how funny that movie was. Not, <laughs> not sick to my stomach out of gross out, but sick to my stomach from, from laughing so hard. Right. Um, number one, uh, and you really hit the nail on the head, uh, was The Dark Knight. Um, for the, for actually, for the same reason that you said, this was the first um, proper release that I saw on an IMAX screen. Uh, you know, I, I had seen some like documentaries and stuff before, but uh, this was the first like movie movie that would hopefully qualify for the Oscars. Um, it got uh, Heath Ledger uh, a Best Supporting Actor win, and I think maybe some technical categories. I wish it had been a contender at Best Picture, uh, but uh, just a, just a tremendous, mind blowing theatrical theatrical experience overall, and uh, a memory to last a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking back at that movie, I remember I sat maybe about halfway up the theater in the and IMAX screens are are basically from the floor to the ceiling essentially, and then the the the, the theatrical seating is basically just goes straight up into a gigantic, uh, almost like you're making like a big you know half V almost. I sat about halfway up the the, the seats, and I could remember I I didn't know what to expect. You know, it's my first IMAX movie. I mean, I had seen some some things at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and things like that. But I, I was never prepared for the theatrical release of The Dark Knight in IMAX. I was sitting halfway up, and I could feel everything underneath me rumbling when any audio essentially was playing. And I thought, man, this is an immersive experience that I've never felt at any movie. No matter how big the screen is, you could just never be prepared for how IMAX just hits you right in the face in the best way possible at the movie theater. So I, I figured The Dark Knight might make your your, your list there, and I, I definitely appreciate your other, you know, Casino Royale um, was another movie I really hadn't thought about, but you know what? You know, after hearing you, I'm thinking, you know, I looked at my movies as what movies kind of either surprised me or blew me away, and Casino Royale was one of those movies that I really did not expect that to be a James Bond movie. Uh, I mean, it was sort of in the Jason Bourne type vein where it's more action than it is Pierce Brosnan, you know, drinking a dry martini, but, and Daniel Craig was a, you know, a great way to kick off a new bond franchise, sort of a reimagining of it. And Casino Royale was such a pleasant surprise at the theater. And, you know, that's a good selection. I, I probably should have thought about that too on my list. So uh, definitely a great list, Bob. Uh, we definitely appreciate you joining us this week. Any final thoughts about, uh, move about the movies? What are you seeing this week? Uh, coming up this week, uh, Escape Room, Tournament of Champions, uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy, and I believe a movie called Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. All right, well, Nicolas Cage, <laughs> it's, it's either going to be good or horrific, probably. Yeah, so. But nothing in between. Nothing in between for Nicolas Cage these days. All right, Bob, well, we definitely appreciate you coming on this week. Uh, have a great uh, week at the movies, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.